The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And this is Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent of The Athletic. And we are here at Vicarage Road this evening, pre-match. Ignorance is sweet bliss. We have no idea what is going to happen later on this evening. I'm standing alongside Mike. How are you? It's, it's, it's always the way, isn't it? With, you know, pre-match you think, Oh, we might, you know, we might win 4-0 tonight. We might, you know, we might grind now, even at just a 1-0. You never know that, you know, the, the world is your oyster pre-match, isn't it? it, it, it we are, but we, we have no idea. We have no idea. But everyone listening will know what has happened. Lucky them, <laughs> lucky them. Or maybe not lucky them. Yeah, it's very cold. I can't work out if it's the, the cold chill of reality or a fresh breeze mm. blowing through after Watford's brilliant win uh, at Aston Villa last week. I, th- I still think there is a little bit of... It's the wrong word. I don't, I don't want to use this word lightly, but a bit of PTSD around Vicarage Road after, after what we've seen here, seen here this, this season so far. Right? Isn't it sort of six games in a row we've, we've lost the first time? I think we've ever done that in the top flight. Uh, the first time we've ever lost six in a row in the top flight here at Vicarage Road. So it is so difficult, isn't it? But how are we feeling ahead of this after, after Saturday? You were there at, at Villa Park. How are you feeling and how should we be feeling? Well, I th- to be honest, I don't think it matters how no, I feel no. or how we feel as fans. It will be how the players are feeling. And I know that sort of sounds like a bit of a clunky, obvious thing to say, but they are the ones that are going to change the dynamic of the season and they are going to change the feeling of opportunity when they walk out there tonight onto the field and hopefully do something inspirational from the start. That is what we want to see, especially, and you mentioned there about the, um, you know, the run that we've been on at home, and in particular, that game against Brighton. We don't want a repeat. But look, the scoreline might be the same scoreline. Who knows? But we certainly don't want a start like we saw against Brighton. We want them going toe-to-toe with a few familiar faces, one that I'm staring at right now, burning burning my eyes into the back of his blonde head, Will Hughes, warming up for Crystal Palace. You take Hughes, I'll look after Wilf. (laughs) Yeah, and they're side by side. This is like, oh, nemesis and long-lost friend. (laughs) You know, side by side, uh, warming up for Crystal Palace this evening. And it is is a, a fascinating subplot. And obviously, we will reflect on that at the end of this podcast because Cole, Jace and John are going to be wrapping things up at the end. Um, And we're just giving you a preview this evening, in addition to a special interview with someone who has a foot in both camps, really, former Watford and Crystal Palace defender Adrian Mariapa. You'll be hearing uh, an interview with him a little bit later on in the show. It's it's, it's almost like a Mariapa sandwich. We are the (laughs) pre-match and then the boys will be back later on either side of the interview. But just going back to the point that you made about the feeling after Aston Villa, you know, they showed their that they can play to a system, to a plan, and break well, perform well, and score a big, juicy goal. Yeah. Woo! 
yeah, which is which is the most important thing. They're up against a formidable opponent with, you know, they're not on great form, but they are trying to fight themselves out of looking over their shoulder at the moment. So it's going to be great to see what happens this evening. But it is Palace. And it always just feels a bit like, oh, this is going to be horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Always is. I, I wanted to ask you, because you, you've missed very, very few games this season, which is unfortunate for you, I guess. But uh, having seen that win and a, and a really gritty, determined, hard-earned win away at, at Aston Villa, how have you felt sort of immediately afterwards and the days after it leading up to this game, knowing, knowing this game is on the horizon and knowing it... Not necessarily. It is a must-win, really, in my book. It's, it's curtains for me if we don't don't win it, really. But how have you felt compared to the rest of the season? Any any different? Any better? Any more positive? Or are you still to be swayed? I, look, I think I think, and, and my piece after the game actually reflected this a little bit. That it was like, look, this was a, this was a big step forward. It, the, the functionality was there, and it was and it was a good it was a good thing. But let's not get carried away. And, and Roy said that after the game as well. Look, it, people might be thinking, oh, this, you know, now we've won a game. Now we've scored a goal. We've kept another clean sheet. We, you know, we've set that benchmark, and it, we just meet it every game. That's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, but in terms of how I've felt since then, it's been it's been it's been a nice feeling, hasn't it? You know, the first time I felt I've had this feeling since November, yeah. which is which is which is great. So I just hope that it has filled those players with confidence and, and just the framework around them. It being different now, it will be interesting to see how they now perform having been told things by their new management team of Ray and Roy that, you know, right, we can build on this. This is what we did. It's that incremental gain. We've had sort of full storms at sort of points in this season. You know, the first game of the season, Norwich, Everton, Manchester United. I think those are our early wins, aren't they? Plus, plus, plus the game against um, Aston Villa. So, you know, now it's like, right, OK, can we, how, do we, how do we harness that feeling? And Roy and Ray, who it was interesting, just before kickoff. Um, they came out around about it was it was it was at 6:48, and they came out and they had a good chin wag, sort of on the Crystal Palace side of the dugouts, and they stayed out there for about three four minutes. They're obviously having a good look, and it's really interesting watching Ray Lewington now. He's watching his own players who are going through their warm ups, but he's also having a good look over the other side because the the key thing tonight is going to be who has the bigger advantage. The Crystal Palace players who know, like the back of their hands, what Roy Hodgson's teams are drilled like. Because so many players have said, and they've used this phrase, we could play in any position because they know those positions so well. So is it going to be more important or is it going to be an advantage that those players know more about Roy Hodgson or that Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington know more about the Crystal Palace players? And that is basically the deciding factor of, of the game. You know, how, can they outwit them? Because they, they know that he always goes right, he always goes left. Or, you know, they know that his, his weak spot is if you say this in his ear or whatever it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know. And it's going to be, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. It is going to be fascinating. Hopefully it's good fun. Hopefully we finally get something to cheer here at, here at Vickery Drive. There was just an announcement before, uh, earlier on, that the Liverpool game has been moved forward to, to midday. That probably isn't going to make much difference in our season. Liverpool away isn't going to define the season. Games like this are, Ad, aren't they? And if Watford are going to stay up, it's going to be done here at home. 
And I was talking to, to Mike Walters before the, the game and he reminded me of the stat uh, about that Brighton game after I think it was 12 minutes yeah. or we'd completed two passes here at home, which we don't need to talk about that. But do you think we will see a different performance tonight here against Crystal Palace and a different performance at home now? We've got that win under their belt at Aston Villa. Will that give them the confidence to say, perhaps let's move it up a, up, up a notch and to change it slightly? How are they going to win these home games? Is, is the is the bottom the bottom line? Yeah, I, look, I think basically the 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 main thing is that they're playing in a more positive shape that suits the the players that they have. We've got that front three once again, and it was interesting when Roy Hodgson asked after the Aston Villa game was asked um, by by a reporter. He basically said, you know, are in these games are you going to need to take more risks? And obviously we had that sort of tetchy exchange the week before after... It's a bit after, simplistic, Ed. Yeah, exactly, after Brighton. Um, but he, he, he basically said, and this, this, is, this is what I, I really liked about what, what Roy Hodgson said. He said, look, I don't really know how you take risks. Because my philosophy is to try and um, stop the opposition having loads and loads of chances, whilst at the same time trying to get yourself very solid but also trying to make loads and loads of chances and you saw the you know although it was sort of an embryonic stage you saw them break very well and it was it was really heartening having obviously been at the game and seen it with my own eyes and then watching the highlights again the speed at which they broke the fact that a lot of it was down to Ishmael Assar just just even you know not even playing playing the biggest part in in all of the chances obviously he played a massive part in that in that goal with the cross, which is which I described in the piece, almost like a Seve Ballesteros chip through the trees that no one else could see, and he did it. But it's just that little first burst of pace that he brings that can set things away. And you know, Emmanuel Dennis, having scored for the first time in ages, he will have more confidence. Hopefully, Joshua King can can also be you know in the box again, poaching, trying to get on the end of things. It's a more positive lineup, and that means that it's almost impossible for them not to be positive. And that's their instinct, their natural instinct of, of Dennis, of King, of Saar, is to be positive. And Roy said that as well. You can't play that lineup and it not be, you know, slightly risk reward um, football. But the big thing is, at meanwhile, they're really well drilled at the back. So, look, it's going to be a test against Zahar, against Alise, against Colin Gallagher. They've got Mateta playing as well. Look, it is going to be a test tonight, but they've got those solid foundations and hopefully it's sort of been varnished and it's, you know, feeling more sort of solid and fingers crossed. That's all, that's all we can say for, for tonight. But again, it is funny. I, I always think, you know, I'm, I, I feel energised and I feel excited and... The, the juxtaposition of what might be about to happen. <laughs> In about two hours' time. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? We shall see. We shall see. So before we do find out what happened uh, in the uh, game against Crystal Palace, I wanted to um, bring a, an interview that I did with uh, Adrian Mariapa to you. Um, I did it uh, at the end of last week, and it was a great opportunity to catch up with him. I've been meaning to do so for quite some time. Um, he's over in Australia at the moment playing for MacArthur FC. It's been a huge period of change for him. Not only, you know, moving country, but also going through some pretty difficult 
tragic experiences in his life, in particular losing his best mate, uh, Marvin Morgan, who he's known for years and years and years, growing up in the, in the Watford area, also um, supporting the, uh, the clothing label, which is Marvin Morgan's clothing label, which is Fresh Ego Kid. You will have seen Adrian Mariapa occasionally modeling for him. So it was a, it was a very, very emotional period in December when he not only left England to go to Australia, but when he arrived, he also found out not long after that Marvin Morgan had tragically died. And I wrote about that in the article that is out on The Athletic at the moment. You can read about his emotion and the influence that it's had on his life, basically. And this is often the case when we lose people that we love. It it is obviously very, very sad, but it also then inspires yourself to have that sort of carpe diem attitude. And I really felt that by speaking to Adrian Mariapa. Um, There is also another element to the story, which is... It is a shocking situation that Adrian Mariapa was in and it, and it relates to a, a, a fatal shark attack that took place on a neighbouring beach to where Adrian Mariapa actually was in Sydney. And that's all explained in the piece as well. But this part of the interview is reflecting on his move from being released by Bristol City, uh, where Nigel Pearson was the, was the manager, and why he's now in Australia and how he's feeling about that, but also keeping a very close eye on what's been going on here at Vicarage Road. We were exploring different options, and when this came about, it was just something that kind of ticked the boxes. Obviously, it's in Sydney. I do have family over here as well, from my dad's side. Okay. So we thought just, you know, let's let's just go for it. It's a new experience, you know, a new league, and, you know, why not? It did happen very, very quickly. When all the the paperwork got sorted, we kind of was just packing up the house, getting out, <laughs> and then got on a plane. Within the space of a, a few weeks, it kind of just snowballed and we ended up out. It just went for it. If you're trying to sort of sell it to the kids and stuff, you you almost know that you can guarantee to go, look, just wait until you see what it's like there now at the beginning of December and you arrive and it's all sunshine and beautiful and, and everything. It's like, it's a good time to to have done it, I suppose. Funny enough, I got here, it was raining. Oh. I couldn't believe it. It's, the, it's the, the wettest summer in 50 years, I think they've said. And so yeah, we got here, we, we initially stayed in the city as well. So we, we had to do three days quarantine hotel. Yeah, when we got out, you obviously walk around the city, it's raining. I'm just oh. like, I'm still in London. <laughs> but yeah, obviously they were excited. Totally different way of life. You know, you're yeah. near beaches. It's a lot more relaxed. The, the weather is a lot hotter, it's a lot nicer. In Watford, like I said, they're they're enjoying the experience. And di- how did the? I mean, I know you mentioned you know Macarthur reached out, but is there was there a link? Because I saw I was looking through the squad list and I saw that like Jordan Much plays for them and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so Jordan put in a word for me and the the manager and and the owners. When I spoke to them at length, they're big on references about you know what people are like, yeah. you know, around the place. They want to get the right characters in because it is a new club. The type of person is very important to them. So Machi gave me a good character reference. Um, Adam Federici, who I played with at Reading, he was the captain but retired this year to uh, a okay. knee injury. The manager also, he was assistant manager of the Socceroos. Mile Jednak was one of the players there, so when I played with him at Palace, he touched bases with all of the guys that I played with and thankfully uh, they all put in good words for me and it kind of just got the ball really, uh, really moving. Before I come on to scoring goals, which I had to properly trawl through your uh, your records for, 
Look, I saw a picture the other day on your Instagram of the biggest spider. The spiders yeah. are a next level, aren't they? That's that's full on. Yeah, it's funny. So obviously, I've put that. I've put that on my on my Instagram, and um, everyone in my who commented back who was Australian or lived in Australia was just like, you know, welcome to Australia. Get used to that. It's just you know nothing. I had a few digs from a few of the lads at training as well. <laughs> but everyone obviously from back home is like, couldn't believe it. And they're just, you know, telling me to burn the house down, saying, you know, it's the spider's house now. You know, time to come home. But yeah, obviously, we're not used to seeing things like that. The bugs out here, just crazy. I hear some of the stories on the lads about snakes and that. And thankfully, I haven't come across too many of them. But I know a lot of them, a lot of the boys have seen snakes on their properties and stuff like that. And, it's very different, very, yeah. very different. And the, the, the craziest thing, like one of the boys said, oh, you need to look out for this certain spider. It's, it's, it can kill you. I'm just mm-hmm. like, surely you don't see many of them around. And you know, he showed me a picture and there's a few in a jar. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, one of the perks are living over here, I suppose. So let's talk about scoring two goals in two games. I mean, scoring a goal is quite something. First time since August 2017. How did it feel? Yeah. It, <laughs> the thing is, I've had... It's not like I haven't had opportunities. I've missed some sitters. It's kind of, it's been bugging me for a while. So I know I should have more goals in my career. You know, coming here, I'm, my first game, I really wanted to score. It just it just didn't happen. Ball didn't fall for me. But yeah, this one, it just it just fell in the right spot. It just fell, and instinctively, I just you know got a good connection with it. Thankfully, it went in not over the bar. Yeah, it, it, it was a great feeling. I'm not gonna lie, it was a great feeling. Went two two new up as well. We were somewhat coasting in the game, I would say. And then we just made the, that particular game really hard for ourselves. Went 3-2 down. And then Craig Noon scored an absolute worldie. I don't know if you've seen that, mm. but um, a few shouts of that being up for the, the Puskas Award and stuff. It's funny enough, to be fair, the last league goal I scored was for Palace. And Kasami scored that unbelievable goal for Fulham and got the Puskas Award in that game. That so lob, was, sort of lob, volley lob. Was that Yeah, like- I'm thinking it'd be something if Nooney got it as well. I can say I've scored in, <laughs> I've scored two of the, the uh, forgotten goals of the game that uh, I scored, <laughs> scored all goals in. So, well, you um, could say that they're so rare that when, when the stars have aligned and you score, something else special happens. <laughs> <laughs> and you've never scored back-to-back goals. Not since I was about... <laughs> 11 years old <laughs> playing Sunday football yeah getting that one was you know we were losing that game yeah. I thought oh we're going to come back now and get at least a point or win you know it wasn't to be but coming away from it my brother couldn't believe it he's messaging me giving me stick my dad's giving me stick getting stick off of Troy Soslaw <laughs> him Doily they all came out the woodwork to give me stick no one congratulated me it is the best feeling you know scoring a goal you know it is the best feeling but you know just contributing to the team you know I always try and you know, I love defending anyway, so keeping clean sheets for me gives me a real buzz as well. You know you're really helping the team, but yeah, there still is no feeling like, like scoring a goal. No, absolutely. And I was looking back then, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's you've never scored more than one goal in a season either. Never, yeah. So I, I did mention that straight away. did say that. Hopefully I can add a few more this season. Yeah. I'm not trying, no, trying to make it a few more, that would be good. Yeah, if you, you might go on a record-breaking run. Who knows? So when you left Bristol City, did you sort of know that that was coming? I'll be honest, I, I, 
I didn't think my time would be that short there, especially after conversations I'd had with the club before, under the previous manager, Dean Holden, you know, the, the conversation my agent had with Mark Ashton as well. And obviously I, I knew Nigel from Watford, I always had a good working relationship with him as well. And I felt that he, he trusted me as well. You know, I played right until last game of the season I started. The club was going through a strange time anyway, because obviously, you know, the chief exec was leaving. There was going to be a lot of change. There was, I knew there was going to be a big turnaround of players just from how many players were out of contract and some players had already been told they were going to move on, etc. I wasn't one of those. I got told after the season had finished. I, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I, I, I try not to take anything for granted in football, but for me, I thought that, you know, I'd been, you know, a positive part of the group. So I played in, played centre-back, I played left side, centre-half, right side, centre-half, and the three in the middle, left back, right back. I played right wing one game, wing back. I was trying to, you know, just do my best for the team, fill in. I weren't complaining about things. It did come as a, a little bit of a shock, but then, you know, that's football. I've come to, <laughs> I've yeah. come to expect those things in football. I said, okay. I just dust myself off and you know, just cracked on. I guess it, I guess the frustration when you've had an experience like you did with Watford, you just want people to be up front with you, don't you? Just like, if you're going to let me go, just let me, give me a month. Like, let me know. How did you sort of dust yourself down? And you've been there, been there, done that after, after Watford. Do you know, the Watford one was, it was a different situation. It was obviously the end, end of the season happened and it was just, from Bristol City, it was a clean break. Obviously, it would have been nice to know earlier they don't have to tell me earlier it would be nice to know earlier if they knew maybe they didn't know you know I had a good conversation with Nigel Pearson anyway after and he basically said he did want to keep me on but he just couldn't basically the contracts had to go elsewhere which you know is fair enough but time is precious in football but I've done what I've always done you know from when I left Crystal Palace I think that was the, the first experience obviously I had really having to make sure I know how to just take care of myself if I'm in that situation and I did have internationals. So, you know, I remember I came off in the last game of the season. So I had to do a bit of rehab as well on my ankle, which wasn't ideal going away on internationals in a few weeks as well. And when I left Bristol City, no, no one bothered checking on my ankle. It was just like, see you later, which was, I thought, was a little bit poor, to be honest. But, but yeah, I went and saw, you know, Darren Glenister. I don't know if you remember him. He was an old Watford physio from back in the day who I'm still good friends with as well. So, and he knows Matt Spring as well. So, I had my, had my own little team, just cracked on with them guys. And they got me in, you know, the best condition to, to go away on internationals, friendlies first and foremost. Then I, I went to the Gold Cup. So even though I hadn't, you know, I didn't have a club, I knew that for any club trying to sign a player who's going to be 35, who's out of contract, they want to know that he can still move, he can still play. The best thing for me was to be playing games of football, still being an active part of the Jamaica side obviously helped my cause massively. That's good to have that sort of bridge, but you knew that there was that phase of games. In that regards, I know I'm fortunate because, like I said, I was still playing competitive mm. games of football. If I didn't have that, you know, who knows? Then saying that, I did have stuff on the table as well. So decent clubs, uh, you know, some decent options. Yeah, ones that, do you know, they really did appeal to me, but I just thought, you know, I was just still just, just holding out. I think because I was playing the international games as well, yeah, I was just prepared to wait uh, yeah. to something. I thought, you know, what, this is, you know, I'm, I'm certain on this, on on giving whatever it is a go. So, and yeah, that's just the way it panned out. You know, obviously, you can take a step away from Watford now, but but uh, you know, the fact that this season is just almost like a mirror image of 2019-20. The thing is, they were getting promoted out of the championship. That you know, they're such a, a strong squad, good group of players, good good lads. 
And, you know, it's very easy, you know, obviously when we got relegated, confidence is low. It's easy to start the next season like that. And I think they've done really well to dust themselves off. Obviously brought in, a, you know, a few good players as well. Galvanise and go again. And I was never a fan of changing managers every time something gets hard. I always felt that... Um, Javi would have turned it around, yeah. me personally. Mm. Um, I think, you know, he was someone who had, you know, obviously you, you bring in a manager who's an expert at doing what he does. And I always believe sometimes you have to give people the chance to show their expertise. And that's not just when things are going well, that's you know, really when, when things are going hard. And so, yeah, I did feel for, you know, all the managers, you know, when they, when they lose their job. But I can't say I'm surprised when it changes. I think everyone feels like that now. They do have, you know, obviously they've got a top manager now under Roy Hudson, who, you know, definitely looks a lot, lot more solid. Obviously got a clean sheet in one of them. Him having a good understanding of some of the players there as well. You know, the characters like Ben Klebs, you know, will help as well. But, you know, I, I have stepped back. Obviously I'm not there anymore, but I still am a fan and I want the boys to do well. You know, I still know a lot of the boys there as well. And I still get frustrated, you know, when I see certain things happening at the club, you know, as well. So... Ah, oh, it is. <laughs> I get frustrated as well. The, the potential to to do what the likes of Wolves and Crystal Palace and stuff have done is there. You know, it's, you know, you can see it with the club. It has that that potential. You know, I think the eighteen nineteen season we we got close to kind of you know we did push. You know, we finished the highest points in position, but then. I felt like we, we had a chance where we could have still pushed on and it didn't happen for whatever reason. You know, it's, it's the toughest league in the world for a reason, but constantly changing the managers when time to, gets hard, I think. It's, I, I don't think it's a formula that's worked. <laughs> what, what can be done, I suppose? Well, the thing is they've got, you know, getting in Roy uh, with Ray Lewington as well. He gave me my first pro contract, yeah. Him and obviously Nigel Gibbs was his, well, the, uh, he was the reserve manager at the time. So, yeah, I know you know, what Ray's about. And, you know, I've played against Roy's teams over the years as well. So I know, obviously, they've got, a, you know, a great partnership, them two together. I still know a lot of the boys and some of the staff on Crystal Palace as well. And they all speak highly of, of Roy Hodgson. And I know Fozzie loves him as well. Look, if they're not going to give him a, a chance, give him the time to, to actually use what he's an expert at doing, then... You know, no one's got a chance of getting time there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, like you said, you know, I don't think there's a right way to coach or be a manager. There's so many different coaching styles out there. You know, no two managers are the same. So, I just feel like, you know, whatever it is, you need to give someone at least, you know, a fair crack of the whip. Things aren't going well. Obviously, there are times where you just like, you know, this can't be saved. But four games into a season is premature. I'm hoping Roy, you know, do the job and, you know, get the boys out of the relegation zone and back at the league so we can see the club really progress. Really, really good to hear from Aidy Mariapa. It feels like you're catching up with a with an old mate, really, doesn't it? It's not it's not hard to imagine we're here at Vicarage Road. It's not imagine to, hard to imagine him out there, is it? In, well, unfortunately, in either kit because he did uh, he did play for Palace as well. But really nice to hear from from Aidy Mariapa. And what you touched on it before we heard from him there, Ad. But I thought for me. There's an overarching theme that I, I took away from it is that it's just how fallible everyone is and perhaps in a lot of ways even more so for a footballer because he talked about how Bristol the, the Bristol City move came as quite a shock to him and a bit of a bombshell and all of a sudden he found himself without a club then on his way to Australia but only on the back of some decent 
references from, from people he'd happened to play with before and knew and had an in with this particular club. So that was not a tenuous link, but some, some dominoes had to fall in the right direction for that to happen. Then, of course, his family's in Australia and there's, and there's the tragic death of his, of his good friend and then the sort of, the sort of jarring incident of the shark. And, it, and the, the whole thing, it just feels like a maelstrom of, of various different emotions. And it just, it's sort of, I guess, putting it in a footballing context to, to remind us just how difficult and challenging life can be. And, and perhaps sometimes we're here getting ready to either cheer or boo Watford players and a reminder that I guess they are just human and football is ultimately what it is not just a game it's obviously more important than that for all of us but we need to remind ourselves of our of our place in the in the universe so a really interesting um interesting chat from from mariapa love the bit about him about the goals love the fact that not celebration he just got a stick <laughs> yeah exactly that troy was in touch lloyd doyle lloyd doyle was in touch as well yeah, he's a which is <laughs> exactly so um no it was it was good and and i I think another element to it, and he, he sort of mentioned it there about potentially, um, you know, going to the thinking about going to the MLS, but realizing that you know they want younger players now. They're developing players rather than getting journeymen, really. Um, and he doesn't want to be that. He wants to be someone that can bring something new to a project. And MacArthur is only, I think, it's four, uh, four, five years old now. Um, and you know, he wants to he wants to continue doing things. He's still motivated. He still feels young. He's still very physically fit. He's managed to keep ticking along with uh, Jamaica, obviously, and playing for them. And that was the great bridge from being released from Bristol City and then playing for um, Jamaica in the in the Gold Cup, then World Cup qualifiers as well. And he basically said, look, if those games hadn't have been happening, you know, who who wants to just pick up a 35-year-old? You, it, it was a shop window opportunity for him, and, and he took it. And, yeah, the likes of Jordan March, Adam Federici, Mile Jedanak had, had, a, had an influence as well. So... And it does show, it also tells you two things. Yes, he can still do a job. Goal scoring is, is, a, is a freak. But it's also important to be a good teammate to these yeah, yeah. players. Yeah. Because, you know, if they, if they called up Adam Federici and he'd gone, oh, mate, you should, you should steer clear of him. He's an absolute nightmare. You know, that would have been, you know, that, that happens. That happens. You know, you hear about managers calling up, um, you know, former managers or teammates or physios or whatever at the club and going, look, shall I take this guy? And they go, yeah, he's a bit dicey. Well, you know, it worked out well for Maps. And yeah, I'm going to be watching to see how many goals he can rack up this season. Lovely to hear from uh, Adrian Mariapa. Adam, I've got some bad news for you. It's game time. Oh, oh God. Okay, so we've, we've been existing in a parallel universe where we don't know the result. Let's hand over to the boys post-match and find out exactly what happened. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. Ignorance is bliss, you two, pre-match. Thank you much, Adam and uh, Mike. We join you uh, outside Vicarage Road after Watford 1, Crystal Palace 4. <sighs> First half, I'm with Colin, you're right, uh, Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> uh, Jace? Yeah, it's probably lucky that Mike did the pre-match and not the post-match, isn't it? <laughs> oh, when the WhatsApp messages during the game, <laughs> you'll all be glad of that. Um, f- first half, Col, wasn't... Uh, Jason, you, you caught a game of chess, almost. It was... It seemed even, bar a couple of moments. Yeah, I mean, I thought first half, we looked all right. We looked like we picked, we'd, take, we'd gone on from the win at Villa, giving us all the hope that we didn't need. <laughs> and uh, came here full of optimism, thinking we'd win this, we 21 points, and, you know, get a point up at Old Trafford and a nil-all draw, and, you know, <laughs> we're back in it, lads. No. no. So, uh, they score... A quite lucky goal yeah, yeah, off, yeah. off the shoulder. It, nothing, nothing was like, oh, they weren't dominating, they weren't like not threatening, really, it no. came not out of nowhere, but it was fairly straightforward. So then uh, we go straight up the other end and score from a corner, which is as rare as, um, as hen's teeth, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one of those for a while. And then uh, there was a little injury break, two-minute kind of rest oh, period. Yeah. And, uh, and after that, we just didn't seem to get going again. And then they got the second one. We held on at one all, And... Um, they scored the second goal and, and I thought, OK, well, that's interesting. We held on to half-time. I think, right, well, they're going to go for it now. We've been playing quite well. We've been pressing quite well. We've been looking a bit dangerous on both flanks. But second half, I'll leave that to Jason. Oh, to you, Jason. It was it, it, nothing, nothing carried on, Jason. We did see the change of Joshua King coming off. Seemed to, you know, Joshua hasn't been playing particularly well recently. Questions have been asked. But he put on Cucho, moving Dennis to the middle, rather than just swapping the two over, which we saw quite a lot under Ranieri. Nothing came of it. Or was it just that, nothing came of that? Or were there other factors? I don't know. Answers on a postcard, please. Because <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not really sure what, what the plan is. Um, and it felt like Palace were playing the perfect example of what we were probably trying to do. They were doing that thing where they were switching from one flank to the other as we sort of laboured the ball back and forth sort of from left to right and they were comfortable with it all the time we, we got these great tricky pacey players out wide a lot of the time they weren't looking to go wide what I wanted to see you know, I saw it early first half get out on the touch lines and yeah. I think until about the 75th 80th minute I don't think we saw it again where both wide men were occupying sort of both flanks we, and we were just too slow to move the ball to them neither were they looking to get beyond as well there was a point in the first half again where Loser has played a great ball over the top early on for Sar to run on to and I didn't really see us try and do that again at all until sort of late in the second half and it was I, it's just so frustrating it just felt like we, we, we just like labouring the ball up the pitch and Palace are just so well organised they, were, they had the overloads out wide. We didn't have the overloads that we needed to, to sort of try and play through them and get behind them. And it was just too easy for them, really, in the end, wasn't it? it, it what was the, the real difference for me watching it was when we had the ball in midfield, they had intensity in pressing and trying to get the ball back, which they did. And, and when they had the ball, 
we were it looked like we were defending a 2-1 lead you know we were backing off we weren't putting any pressure on the ball when we did finally get the ball which often took five five minutes to get the ball back off them then they put pressure on us and we didn't have outlets and and so they won the ball back we gave the ball back a million times in the second half we, we just didn't have any intensity it, it, it felt a bit like they were starting to lose the will to, to, to get to stay no, in we the lost game. him in the summer and he was playing for them <laughs> yeah no fair enough and he played well and him and Gallagher really uh, schooled us a bit in midfield just in the, in the terms of how they play with the ball and how they play without the ball and we just didn't have that um, and it was really hard to watch the second half because it, it, we just looked and, and after about 60 minutes it looked like we just not down tools but there was a kind of shrugging of the shoulder and it looked just like we we'd sort of slightly given up the idea that we were going to get something from the game and it was really depressing. Who was shrugging their shoulders, Jason? Was it one player in particular, Mr Ishmael Assar? Those tired, were they shrugs or were they a bit upset and a bit annoyed shrugs? I, yeah, probably a bit of both. They, they were sort of summed up by the um, kick-off after the, uh, was it after the third goal or after the fourth goal where <laughs> someone's played the ball and he's just sort of watched it come towards him <laughs> and you know, Zaha's just walks past him, picked the ball up and gone on another attack. Um, I think it's probably harsh to single out individuals f- for that second half performance yeah, it was- it's, it's like like uh like Colin said he sort of talked about Conor Gallagher there I I noticed and more, and more so in the first half where I was sort of talking about it being a game of chess he was quite happy to drop deep in midfield he was sort of when whenever we had the ball and again sort of taking our time to play it, he was happy to drop back sort of fill those gaps he was almost alongside Hughes and Keate at times when he was doing that when they attacked he was then straight up pushing forwards on our defensive line and, and that's where the second goal comes from. Did we have anyone doing that from midfield? Don't think we did, did we? No youthful no. exuberance. But also, I think that um, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so tired, John. Um, no, I, I think that you know that we didn't, we just didn't have the desire to 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 keep the ball in good areas and get the ball into. We couldn't get but, okay, the ball did, into you, good areas. Yeah, that but, was really important. Well, they were well organised. There are two things there, Colin. You but, say desire to put it in good desire to put it into good areas, or could we get it to good areas? Is that feeling of well, you've got to have one you have the other. Well, but were they instructed to play it safe, to play it that, and trying it in the break, but the, we the, could make that happen because then Palace were just doing their thing? When they get the ball, they had tempo. They passed the ball quickly. They always seemed to have an out ball. They kept the ball for ages. And, and, and that, in fact, interestingly, that second goal, I was saying to Florence, who's here with me tonight, that second goal, they had the ball probably for about seven or eight minutes without any real pressure on it. And I said to Flo, I said, you know, if you give any Premier League team that much time with the ball, without any pressure on the ball, they're going to make, it, they're going to make something of it eventually. And then they did. They got the second goal. And, and that's what we weren't doing. We weren't putting them under any pressure, really, at any point. In the first half, we, 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 back, we were trying to match them up with the intensity, but in the second half, we stood off, we stood off. We, when we got the ball, we gave it away because they, they immediately pressed us. They had a really good functioning Premier League midfield and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't live with them. Anything, Jason, we can take from this, from this game? That there are something in that first half to be maybe with the wonders of... Old Trafford and playing a big six team that they could pull it from nowhere on the weekend? Uh, we've, <laughs> we've scored a goal at home. Well, three yeah. things. We've scored a goal at home. Yeah. Sissoko scored. Oh, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't going to miss from there, was he? No. And we scored from a corner. Yeah. Three things. There you go. Yeah, take, take that to the bank. <laughs> I've just yes. been on the EasyJet website and the tickets to Carlisle are quite cheap at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do anything different on Saturday? Uh, do we have depth and... 
abilities to change, or do we have a manager that's not going to do change because we're, he's too young into this? Young into this game, not young into the uh, young into this team, not young into his career. The problem was the bench today. There were four. We had a, we had a whole second back four, two fullbacks and two centre backs on the bench. So it was like, well, bring them on and play them <laughs> in front of our back four and see if we can hold on. But um, we didn't really have many options, and Plan A didn't work. And there wasn't Cucho was that's not really a plan B. There wasn't really there wasn't really something that he could really use off the bench to change yeah. the the play. There wasn't another you know uh, kind of energetic midfielder to come on. Rook Kiembe on. He's a big fellow, isn't he? Yeah, and he, he, know, had some, he, he had, had some he had drive good, to couple, it. A couple of good touches, but it didn't change the game. No, uh, and, and they are. You can see what Vieira's done there. He's, he's really got them going and they're very well organised. They press the ball really well. They, they put us on the back foot again and again, as I've said before. And, and in the end, there was just, it, we just didn't have an answer to what they were doing. We couldn't find a way around them. We couldn't find a way over them. And, and I think Jason's point is right. In the first half, we were looking to put it in behind them. We did it, we did it well uh, when, they, when they pushed up to the halfway line. We were, we were looking for that snap to get behind them. But in the second half, they, they, it just it just wasn't happening. Yeah. They wouldn't let us do it. In no, fact. I think that, yeah. In the not quite shining of the moon, it's a bit cloudy, Jason. Did you before in the daylight of today and the sunshine think, oh, we could we could still get ourselves out of this? And is it just now you're thinking it's over and done with, or are you still seeing the sunrise? I mean, I mean, you could the little weather yeah, analogy. I mean, until the fat lady sings, until it's mathematically possible and all that, you, you've got to believe, but it's just getting harder and harder. I was asked today at work, is Roy going to get you out of it? And I said, I don't think he can. I just think it's too big a job. I was talking on Sunday, wasn't I, about there are teams up there that are on a bad run of form, but we are still so far behind them that if we serve up performances like this, we've got no chance of catching them at all. I mean, away from home, we're sort of talking about positives and what can we take to Man United. Away from home, we've been better than we have been at home. We've conceded one goal in three games away from home. OK, not playing the greatest of sides. But then we've let in what, four, four against Palace, who haven't been on a great run of form. Two against Brighton. I mean, even before that, Ranieri's last game, three at home to Norwich. So it's, it's appalling. The home record is appalling. And if we are to get out of it, that is what needs to change. We need to make our home form count. Because the games we've got at home, you look at those, they should be winnable. We've played, I think, most of the, the top teams at home. They're now going to be our away games. Yeah. The home fixtures that are left should be winnable ones for a team from the rest of the Premier League. Yeah. Play like that. Play like we did against Brian. Play like we did against Norwich. No chance. Yeah, well, it's a six home games, seven away games that we've got left. Colin, is it just today or have you had your, maybe you had your peace with all this already? I, I've made my peace with it, John. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a cat's hell in whatever the phrase is. I don't think we've got any chance of staying up, not after tonight. I thought if we could, we could double up and get back-to-back wins, that would put some confidence in the, in the squad, put some confidence into Roy that he could do it. But after tonight's performance, I just think, that's it. I think this is this is could could well turn out to be one of the worst seasons in years and years. Really, I do really think that. I mean, compared to the the way we fought under Pearson over Christmas and New Year when he came in, uh, that squad. You know, we took it to the last day. We're not going to take it to the last day this year. Well, Mike Parkin hasn't been on this uh, post match, but it's been a bit depressing. Uh, thank you very much, Adam and Mike, for the first half of this podcast. Thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. No thanks to Watford. Uh, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast after our trip to Old Trafford on the weekend. Remember, you can, of course, subscribe to The Athletic, get all Adam's readings uh, by going to theathletic.com forward slash where there's always a juicy offer for you. Uh, but 
thank you very much uh, for listening. And of course, the season isn't over yet. Come on, you horns. The Athletic.